Benifer is back. Brad and Jen are friends again. And Paris Hilton is somehow still making headlines. 20 years later, we're living in the world that the 2000s tabloids created. On this series, I'm going to tell you the story of a decade of American life through the trash we love to consume. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Claire Malone, and this is Just Like Us, the tabloids that changed America. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. Fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the wallet app and you're good to go. All right, it's the Prestige TV Podcast. We're about to cover Winning Time, episode one on HBO. My name is Bill Simmons. I am here with Joe House, my buddy from college, who was also on the Ringer Podcast Network on Fairway Rolling. A little Ringer gambling show as well. Not more than a little. I had the whole NFL season. 14 and 8. Yeah, we both have credentials. Yeah. Um, we are so excited to talk about Winning Time. This was a show really made for us. I have no idea if people under 30 will like it. The reviews have been really good. It is based on Jeff Perlman's book about the 1980s Showtime Lakers, a team that we are both very familiar with. I got to see them in person. I went to, um, I think, in the 84, 85, 87 finals. I think I went to like, I don't know, every one of the home games in Boston, except for one of them. Saw Magic in person a bunch of times. You did as well. Begrudgingly came to respect those Lakers teams. Yeah, I was just going to say, you intensely loathed those teams. I did. Well, they were our big villain, but, you know, begrudgingly came to respect them. Yes. Especially they came into the Garden in 87 and beat us, the whole thing. Uh, I never expected. I heard about this show. I heard they were making a pilot. It's like, well, that's not going to work. How are they going to cast Magic? How are they going to cast Kareem? They're going to make a show about this? And then the guy who runs HBO, Casey Bloys, who I've done some stuff with, he was telling me like a year ago, like this show is like the real deal. This is going to be a great show. Like, yeah, whatever. This show is the real deal. You love this show. I do love the show. It's fantastic. What do you love about it? Give me your top, top things you love the most. First of all, it's way over the top. Like the convention, whatever, the the conceit, the thing where they where the guy turns and talks to the camera and talks to you and brings you into the narrative. You know, so it lets you you're in on the joke. The viewer is in on the development so of, of the like narrative. So you like that cuz that's probably like the hardest thing I've had with this show is the staring in the camera which is an Adam McKay trick. I like it because it it tells me how they're tackling this. Right, it, with, it, a, with a little tongue in the cheek. Yes, yes, exactly. So it's not, and it, it permits me to not have to treat everything that happens as though it's it's like a factual development. It's not a, a you right, know. It's not all the president's men. No, and it's not, a, you're exactly right. It's not a documentary that's going to try and track, keep, keep, you know. So there's a lot of artistic license here. And that's the over the top. 
that I like. It reminded me also, second thing, of the excesses of that era. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and also like just the old way of doing things, which is it's got, it dips into a little bit of what made Mad Men so great when it was on. I was like, oh, man, I forgot that people were like that. We were little kids during this era, but yeah, you see it, you can feel it in a lot of the office stuff, right? The way the way the women are treated versus the men, how it's all white guys and decision making powers, all that stuff. I mean, we we came into our um, teens and then early adulthood in this era. This was, you know, yeah. like the, the these teams were um, for for me, like uh, you know, the 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 pinnacle of um, prominent American culture. But did you think the thing that's amazing to me, because it really does seem like this show is going to be successful and Casey, and he's done some press about this and he's like, I'm not a basketball fan, but this show really resonated with me. I liked it. I, it's to me, it's not about the sport of basketball. It's about all the things around it. And I think when they were trying to figure out if they had something or not, he was mailing the pilot to a couple of people in his life who aren't huge NBA fans wasn't like, my opinion doesn't really matter. You and I were watching this anyway, whether it was good or not. There's no basketball in the show. Well, there, yeah, there eventually we'll there is. There, we'll get, to, we'll get there. But we're talking about the beginning. Yeah, it's a little Very more, little. It's a little closer to like, it's like a little succession, a little Mad Men, and a little bit of like what McKay does in some of his movies, where it's like a little tongue-in-cheek, trying to have fun, really almost cartoonish characters That's in right, some ways. larger than life. Yeah. For so sure. What did, so for instance... What they do with Jerry West in the first two episodes of this show, they dial him up by how much, right? By 40%? I, I mean, it feels like more than that to me. Yeah, because they make, they make him kind of a maniac. Yes. And right. it was, I've watched, I've watched uh, the first two twice. The first time I watched this, it was really hard for me to wrap my head around. Like, they're turn, like John C. Riley is Jerry Buss. I had to get over that hump. I had to get over the hump of Jerry West, the logo, as this fucking maniac. Pat Riley, who really emerges in episode three, four, he's kind of a loser, really, for the first couple. It's hard. So it's just like you almost have to reset your brain, remove it, put it back, and just watch it for what it is. That's exactly right. And that's the perfect way of describing, you know, how, because they've set up this over the top thing with these characters and they only like loosely bear a resemblance to the, to the people that we know with the actual history, we've all kinds of room to go explore the space. You know what I mean? Like these yeah. are, these are dramatic renditions of larger than life characters in a larger than life story that happens to be true, which is just wonderful. Yeah. But you know, it, it lets us just focus in on the tail and enjoy the tail. Well, the star is Jerry Buss. The star is Jerry Buss. And let's do that quick aside. We we know from the stories that, that preceded the arrival of the series that this series created a rift in the friendship between Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. Right. Because he cast Michael Shannon, I think. And... Um, Farrell wanted it, but that was fine. He just went with another actor. But then I think they weren't getting along as well. Michael Shannon didn't work out. Went back to, he just immediately calls John C. Riley. John C. Riley does it. And then John C. Riley was the one who called Farrell, not Adam McKay. That's what came right. out recently, which was really rough. Cause I mean, like McKay and Farrell was closer as like you and I. Are. I know. Yeah. That's right. 
Exactly. So, so it's handled poorly. And McCade is like, I'm doing what's best for the show. But it seems like he at least partially sacrificed the friendship. The reason, well, he sacrificed this, the friendship because he he um, messed up the communication. Like he didn't yeah. tell his buddy. Like, but I, I think know, it was already. Each other. I think it, it was clearly headed to a bad place. The reason that I took us down that aside for that little backstory is because I can't imagine anybody else as bust now. Having seen yeah. it, I've only watched four episodes, and I watched. I did the same thing as you. I watched the first two twice. He inhabits bust in a way that I believe this is Doctor Jerry Bust. Now, I've only seen Bust in, you know, the film clips and so forth, but... So, I think he gets 90% there. I okay. think he's there from the charisma, the yes, the funny stuff, but I think there was a sexuality to Jerry Bust that was kind of undeniable that I don't know if Riley gets there, at least in the first two episodes, because I remember, you know, Jalen and I, we spent a year with Magic doing TV with them. Yeah, I'm not going to spill the secrets from it, but I don't, I don't think Magic would mind me telling this story. We asked him once because we were just fascinated by Doctor Bus, especially because at that point Doctor Bus was pretty old, and you know the old guy who ran the Lakers, but obviously had this incredible bachelor life. So I asked Magic once if Doctor Bus is at one table in the Forum Club and Hugh Hefner is a couple tables down, and they both like the waitress, who has the better chance of getting the waitress? And Magic, without hesitation, was like Dr. Buss. Wow. He was like, without hesitation, it's like when Dr. Buss put the charm on, everyone, everyone melted like butter. And it didn't matter if it was like somebody who worked for him or a woman that he was trying to seduce or whatever, he was just... Matt, I don't know if Riley 100% got there with that, but I loved everything else about it. I'm glad you used the word charm, though, because I really do find a kind of charm in Riley's depiction yeah, 100%. of us, right? But did did he feel like somebody who could steal anybody's wife or, wife or girlfriend if he really wanted to? No. And that's, I think, the one piece, but I don't... How do you find an actor who can even do that? I mean, that's... I mean, it's got to be... It's like, it has to be like that... Kevin Costner kind of quality, right? Well, and part of it is also like the physical looks. Like you, do, you, yeah. The the old pictures of Bus, he's handsome enough, yeah. But it's not like he's knocking people's socks off. So it's a pretty unvarnished look at him, and it, especially as you get to some of the later episodes, which I don't want to spoil. But um, it's a little unvarnished with him. It's definitely unvarnished with Magic West. Yeah. Um, watching it, I was trying to think who would probably be the most unhappy. Probably Magic, because in a couple points. Not just like the the sex stuff in, in the first two episodes, but um, even like having him swear. Like I, Magic kind of takes pride in not swearing, or at least he did when I knew him. And maybe he swore as like a 19-year-old, I don't know. But I thought he was a little little more TV version than the guy I spent time with. So that's interesting because what I thought might be most objectionable, um, and you know, you have your running commentary in the back of your head because these are real life people that that we've known for thirty five years now, yeah, uh, or longer than that. Um, the intimate reflection of his relationship with his parents, like, yeah, how, how true to life could that be? Is it like, is that all drama? Or I mean, you know, that his mother had the reputation. Well, he was very close with, with Magic. Was very close. Are you talking about Ma Magic or Bus? Ma Magic. Yeah. No, Magic we're talking about the, the, his parents. Because very close with the parents. I think a lot of that was. We get tons of intimate, like portraiture of. I think that's that was pretty genuine for the most part. Okay. Yeah. All right. It was a revelation to me. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it shows magic. I think he was 19. He's a kid. Exactly yeah. right. Super vulnerable. Like, what? Three years older than my daughter. In this? A, a mama's boy. His mom was tough on him, deliberately tough on him. She was very spare in, in the praise that she afforded him because she was trying to keep him humble. Um, and she was not having any of his charisma. It was, yeah. you know, I, I liked all of that. She didn't like it in the hot tub. He bought a brand new tub for Is her. That a, oh, we thought, might have spoiled that. That might have been episode two. I can't remember. Well, it doesn't. It, it's not oh, really whatever. a spoiler. He, he buys her a tub as a gift. So the biggest issue with this show, just hearing about it, was how are you going to cast Magic and Kareem? Everyone else is realistic. But Kareem is seven foot three. Magic, you know, Magic's a big fucking guy. He, yes. Even like at, when we were doing TV with him, just you would see him coming down the hallway and he'd be like, Jesus Christ, that guy's six, nine. Like <laughs> you don't, you're not around a lot of six, nine people. And he filled out as he got older. So you needed size is so important with both of those guys. Yeah. The guy who plays Kareem, um, is six eleven. The guy who plays magic is probably six, five. So they're able to cheat with it. But I did feel like the size was okay with both those guys. How did you feel? I agree with you. And especially, um, in, uh, there's a scene in, I can't remember first episode or second where Norm Nixon, the character, uh, and magic end up on a basketball court together at Donald Sterling's house of all places. Oh yeah. We were spoiling episode two though. Oh, is that, I yeah. couldn't remember that was one that or was two. Him. Okay. Well, yeah. but that the size discrepancy there felt true to life. Felt, it felt accurate. That's yeah, all. It's true. Kareem, you're not going to find a seven foot three actor, his sky hook, which we see later on in future episodes. It's, I, I wasn't getting flashbacks. To it's passable. It's, it's okay. It's, you know, but the point is it's good enough. It's, it's, it doesn't take you out of the show where I think in the wrong hands where you're just like, God, I just can't get past this. Well, that's right. Because we, which I never felt that way. We have so many sports shows in our lives where we've complained about the veracity, the authenticity of the sport, the playing like of the like sport. Bill, Dur Bill Durham, Tim Robbins. Yes. Now he claimed he threw his arm out pretty early, but watching this guy who's supposedly this 104 mile an hour throw and he's, and he literally isn't throwing it's the baseball shot correctly. And it's, it's a like, shot put. All right. This yeah. is so yeah. we've we, you know. Yeah. And I think in this case, they have to seem like they've played basketball. Both of these guys do. And the size is there. So that was a bonus. And so I, that so that was but I they, think they good. created enough room to me in terms of it's not a cartoon. It's just there's a lot of serious uh, drama element to it, but there's a cartoonish vibe to it, I guess. Which I think they leaned into because I think they realized they had to. Yeah. So it's like how factual can we be? while also having a lot of fun with this stuff. Like, you know, some of the stuff they do with Jerry West, like, I just don't think he was that much of a maniac, but I feel like they felt like they had to lean into it. So we have the big, the big, so this starts with the HIV press conference. So we're going all the way forward to 1991 and then they go backwards. Did you like how they did that? Cause I, you could, I could have gone either way on that. Cause you could have told me just start with Jerry Buss and I'm good. Yeah. I don't know I, if I needed the press conference. I mean, it it gives you like a, a sober starting point. You know, it's it's pretty dramatic. It's pretty emotional. Um and it it would you have done it? Where, yes or no. Where are we gonna go from there? I I, th I was fine with it. I didn't have any problem with it. I would have started with Bus. Okay. Bus is, I think, the key to the show. He's the best part of the show. Agreed. I love every Jerry Bus scene. Agreed. I like how he 
works these different worlds. And especially in episode two, there's some really good stuff with him and Red Arback. But in this thing, he has, he, he's trying to buy the Lakers from your guy, Jack Kent Cook. It's 30 days to get the money. This is the NBA we grew up with, which was a fucking mess. This is the height of the cocaine era. This is the height of the, the media writing that the league is too black to ever really catch on. This is, we're about to enter tape delayed playoff games, I mean, it, playoff games that weren't shown. I'm so conflicted. The Washington Bullets were the reigning champs. Right. This was it. Your, <laughs> My your, era. Your Washington Bullets are getting blamed with the Sonics for like ruining the league. I know. It's like the lowest ratings ever. CBS is panicking. Um, the visible stars in the league at that point. And this is one thing I didn't feel like they did a good enough job in episode one of is Kareem's the biggest star in the league. Right. And he's just completely inaccessible. Especially to kids like us. Yeah. We just see him. He's got the goggles on. He's skyhook. He's methodical, but not fun. It's right. like you wouldn't have a Kareem poster. And I don't know how I I, I need to, to um, give it more time. I don't like how one note the character is in the show. So I wonder, like, were they almost afraid of Kareem because he's such a vocal presence now, right? He's right. He writes essays for these different places and were they afraid to like really go there with Kareem because Kareem's reputation at this time was he was a pretty sullen guy. So they get into some of it, but this was like once upon a time, Jim Murray, the famous LA times columnist, Kareem was so standoffish with the media that Jim Murray did an entire column about interviewing Kareem's back. Okay. Well, so I can't, did they hammer that home hard enough. I don't know. I can't think of a single time in the first two episodes where Kareem smiles. I'll go back and watch again. I but, can't think But of I think that might have been pretty accurate. Uh, that's, I don't know if he was that a, happy of my a question. guy back then. That's that's the question. That's my question. And all right. Well, regardless, he's the biggest star in the league. He had forced his way to the Lakers before the 75-76 season because he told them when free agent comes, I'm leaving. So they trade him. Goes to LA. They trade so much that they never have the right team around him. They have some bad luck. The Kermit Washington thing, which they referenced, I think, in the pilot, happens the year before and kind of submarines a, a team that could potentially do some stuff. Bill Walton gets hurt on the Blazers. So the seas have opened up for the Lakers and they can't put it together. They did a good job setting that up. They also did a good job of setting up the Lakers-Celtics thing, which was very pre-2004 Red Sox-Yankees. Celtics beat them every time. Yeah, no, of course. Lakers had one title. That's it. Near the tail end of the West Chamberlain thing. But the the Russell Celtics killed them the entire time. It's the time. thing that antagonizes West so much. It is the um the the bane of his existence, literally. That the thing that that drives him most crazy was uh the inability to to beat the Lake uh, the Celtics, and he's so affected by it, at least from this uh, artistic rendition, that he can't even enjoy when they win. Right. He can't enjoy it. We'll talk about West in, in uh the second episode because he comes. A- way more prominent figure. In this episode, Buss has to buy the Lakers 30 days to get the money. Magic has a chance to be the first pick. They have the old rule back then that you could kind of take it to the wire if you're the guy. And if he doesn't like the money they're offering, he'll just go back to school because this actually happened with the Celtics. Huh? They drafted Bird a year before he actually played for us and he decided to go back to school. I don't think they ever seriously negotiated, but then... um. It, it just, the league was different back then. There was weird loopholes. There's some good stuff in episode one with Magic and his dad clashing over the contract that they tapped into that I liked. 
or Magic is so certain he's worth six hundred thousand a year because that's what Bird just signed for. He just beat Bird in the title game, right? And Magic's dad is like, "That's more money than I've ever made in my life. You should be happy with four hundred thousand. You're being selfish." And but Magic, I like because he turned into such a good businessman as right. an adult, right? Yes, and he's just like, "I know what I'm worth. I'm worth this." Yeah. It has to be this number. I I'd like those scenes, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did. I thought that was it. It was a, a good because of what we know. We have that context about magic. Um, but he could see the chessboard. That's it. So we have that. We have Kareem, who's difficult. We have West, who's an angry asshole. We have the thing that's true. That's in the reporting, especially in the Jeff Perlman book, that West wanted Moncrief. It, and that it, was the thing that I had always heard throughout my life. But then the book, like, definitively. Lock that. He down. doesn't waver. Yeah, I mean, he, he he's he's expressly tells uh, the ownership that he does not want magic. That he thinks it would mis- be a mistake to take magic, and you know he wants Moncrief. Can we litigate that decision for a second? I don't think it's like the worst take in the world. I mean, I mean, Magic became one of the five best players ever. If they don't take him in that spot, that's a catastrophe. I'm just saying, Moncrief. I think was the second best two guard of the of the eighties and also got hurt. The reason that you can't take Moncrief is because you're trying to create You're trying to create everything. Yes. But okay. Wes doesn't see that. I'm just saying I see his point. I don't agree with it. Okay. I don't know how okay. you don't take magic after the title game. Okay. He was incredible. That's right. But I see his point. They had Norm Nixon. Norm Nixon, for people listening now, I would compare him. He wasn't like one of the three or four best point guards, but he was right there in the next level. So maybe he's, who who would he be now? I don't know. I was going to say. He, he, like he wasn't like a Trey Young level, but maybe like one notch below. Uh, Goran Dragic? No. No, a level higher than that. What's in between? Maybe like Tyrese Maxey a year from now. But he was like. Maxey's the thing good. Is the, the point guards we grew up with were these old school point guards who had the ball all the time who really ran a team. Yes. Right? Tiny Archibald, Mo Cheeks, Norm Nixon, Gus Williams. That's why I was these trying like to think of a John conventional Lucas. a conventional point guard. There aren't, you know. Right. So maybe there's not a not a like maybe a better Jalen Brunson. Sure. Because Norm could you know he, he was could, fast. Norm could he's one of the fastest guys in the league. Really yeah. good. Yeah. So West is looking at it like we don't need a point guard. We have one. We get Moncrief. I think Moncrief can be one of the best two guards in the league. Not wrong. Yeah. If Mon- we saw Moncrief at various stages of his career, I was passionate about in my book about that he wasn't in the Hall of Fame yet. I, c- I couldn't believe it because he's basically the best two guard of the 80s behind Jordan. And also had, and was hurt half the time. Had the defense to go along with it. That's incredible. Part of it. The incredible two way guy. Yes. The fulcrum of this really good Bucks team that could never get over the hump. So I don't know. That wasn't insane. Um, and then we have Nixon who doesn't want to give his spot, give up his spot. That's a plot. And then we have to have Bus convincing Magic to be a Laker, which leads us to the most interesting scene that I don't know if it popped up in the reporting or not, where Bus and Jack Kent Cook, the old Lakers owner who Bus is buying the team from, who still feels like he has some say in it, and they meet Magic and his dad, and they're talking about a contract. And 
he serves. He's just, it's like your classic fish out of water scene where it's like, he, what was that fish? I don't even, that fish he was telling them the, it was like, Oh, seagulls uh, no, no, sand, sand dabs. They are, sand dabs? they're, they're, I've had them, uh, in Northern California. I yeah. figured you've had them. Yeah. What the fuck are they? It's just like a, a small white fish. It's tasty, but it is unique to, I, I you know, I don't know the full that, pro- provenance of that's it. That's like rich guy country club food. So yeah, he's like trying yeah, to, that's right. He's trying to make them uncomfortable. He, he is. You serve that course when you're like, you guys are in my world now. Have yes, some fucking sandals. That's right. You're not right. They, they, that's not something they could have gotten in Lansing, East Lansing, Michigan. And Bus, who, you know, I think you see in the first episode, he's a people reader. So he reads like, oh, Magic and his dad, this isn't their kind of food. Magic says, can I get a cheeseburger? And Bus is like, you know what? I want a cheeseburger too. Like yeah. he's, he just gets it. Like, yes. I, And I thought that was a really cool piece of this. So I, I want to ask you, and this is- So this a, leads to the boy thing. Yes. Well, and, and you know, the, the entire depiction of Jack Kent Cook. So I have a very different experience with Jack Kent Cook in my life. He played- a, a prominent role in in my uh, development as a as an NFL fan and as a fan of the Washington Redskins, he owned the Redskins, yeah. and and transformed them from a team that could be competitive with Dallas and and you know was, was always a good threat for the NFC East when the uh, Kilmer and Jurgensen days into a team with with Joe Gibbs at, as the head coach. That for a decade was right there. Could win the Super Bowl, did win the Super Bowl three different times, and also lost the Super Bowl to the Raiders. I mean, transformative. And was beloved in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Extremely diverse Washington, D.C. You know, a working class town in that era, in the in the early 80s, all the way up till you know, 91 was the last Super Bowl that we won. Uh, so he was never, he never had that late career. Oh, there's this, because there was a one thing that happened. In 1991, there was Washingtonian Magazine wrote this piece about him and he had this $30 million libel suit he did against them because they said he it had allegations about game fixing and his endorsement of racist views that he thought were so outrageous. He demanded, not only did he sue, but he demanded, um, you know, an apology. The retraction? And the retraction. And they did it. Oh. They did the whole thing. You go back and read it, and I, they printed a giant apology. They made a substantial donation to a charity in his name. So he got them to take walk back whatever was in there. I had never, you know, who knows? So you're talking about these rich guys yeah. from the 60s and yes. 70s. I'm sure they weren't Boy Scouts, but well, and the boy part really surprised me. That so, uh, yeah. In the, in the show, he, he is not just, and then we're talking about winning time again. He's not just condescending to Magic and his dad, but he calls um, Magic a, a, a boy in, in a deliberate, he says pointed it in way. A way. Yeah, yes. he's like, "What are we talking about, boy?" Yeah, like, the way he says it, yep. it's dripping with racism. Yes, that's I right. Don't remember that. And um, and it's, I mean, he was lionized in Washington. So I was like, wait a minute, this is, is this a caricature? Is or I, I haven't, you know, gone back and looked at news stories to see if this undercurrent was occurring simultaneously. So there, yeah, there, all the stuff that I read about him, I don't remember, but who knows? Yeah, right. These guys, I'm sure, right. I'm sure there's stuff. So I was surprised by that because I didn't know that. That was probably my big revelation. He's the biggest villain 
in the first two episodes. Well, yeah, and Red Arback was the other one. So I know they have to, they, yeah. you know, you're, you're making the Celtics the villain. They really hammered down this, uh, Larry Bird was the white, hardworking guy and Magic is the naturally gifted guy. It, it kills me to say it, but that was part of the perception. I mean, well, not just Bird that. was being sold as the great. It was white marketed that way. It was marketed that Le- way deliberately. You could read between the lines with some of the stuff that was written and said about Bird, um, and that was the. You didn't then, have to read between the lines. No, you didn't. You just read, read the lines. Yeah, re- you read the lines, or you can read between the lines. <laughs> but then Bird from '84 to '87 has the best four-year run, not only of the '80s, but you know, it's in the running for best in the history of the league. I mean. We always talk about how do you measure the best players ever, peak versus career. His peak is way up there with anybody. I know. I get it. But in 1980, they were still like, ah, is this this because he's white? Why did they give him $650,000 a year? Is it because he's good or is he white or both? I was always in the this guy's amazing camp because we had his rights that whole Indiana State year. And my dad and I watched those games because they would show some of them. Oh. And they made the big run that year. They almost made the finals, but it was like, this is our guy. And so we were watching that and as much as we could that year. And we we're like, oh my God, this guy's really good. We had no idea it was going to turn into what it turned into. Sure. Magic seemed like a safer bet. But the thing with Magic was like, there was no 6'9 point guards, which I think West is making all those points. So it's like, all right, fair point. We're not, there weren't a lot of prototypes of this. No. <laughs> to this day. Questions. Did we like the opening credits with the music? Dun, dun, dun. It's loud. <laughs> it's really, you know. I disliked it initially. The second time I saw it, I, I think it's, I have Stockholm Syndrome yeah. with it now. And yeah. now, I'm, yeah. now I'm kind of into it. The thing, there is one at one fleeting glimpse of a kid on a skateboard um, with his shorts falling down that, that for whatever reason, it's like, oh, I don't want to see this ass crack. <laughs> okay, so we're, you're lukewarm on the credits. I'm. A little I like the song. That. It's just like you know, uh, the the montage is a little in the facey. Jack Kent Cook, are we okay that it, we that they turned him into a cartoonish, borderline racist for the the purpose of advancing the Jerry Bus character? I mean, he's dead. What's he going to say? <laughs> I mean, he's he 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 was transformative to my Washington D.C. sports experience. So I'm like, interested I, to I just see can't... if the Cook family weighs in. I'm trying to think who's going to be the maddest when this comes out. And I feel like the Cook family is probably the favorites. Uh, We're like, wow, was our dad really that bad? I mean, he did have some weird stuff. Like he he had the most high profile divorce I think ever. I think he lost the most money. He, in lost divorce. It, he did. So that, some of that he, stuff he set the record for amount of money he lost in a divorce. Played by uh, Danny Noonan from Caddyshack. Indeed, that's right. Danny. <laughs> um, the West piece, which I'm sure they'll pay off down the road. And then in terms of like drama that they're setting up. So how can Bus not only transform this franchise, but compete with the Celtics and his magic, his meal ticket in general, him seeing that this team, and we'll get into it more when we do the episode two one that this team could be a vehicle for something bigger than a basketball team. So I, I'm glad that that vision was established in episode one. It creates the basis for the narrative arc. And they did an awesome job of giving us um, the snapshot of how flat and dull 
and what a what a dud the the forum and yeah. just the whole ex- experience was. So what would you have added? What do you think they missed? Hmm. In that's this? interesting. What was, what was I think to me that what they probably missed was and maybe you don't need it, but I'm just thinking for people under 30. I could have gone a little further into Kareem because I actually think he's more important than maybe he gets credit for in this first episode. I would have liked a bit more of like the basketball context. Like, yes, you know, more of we 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 hear them talk about the ch- the challenges of the league and, you know, the ratings and so forth. But it, they, they could have done a bit more on, you know, I, I don't I'm not a uh, I'm not a film guy. But no, but there there should be a scene where you could have even made it up where Bus is trying to decide, do I want to get in this league or not? And you have the proxy character and like, well, here are the problems. Yes. He's the exactly. best player in the league. He's not accessible at all to fans. Um, we just came off two straight Seattle Washington finals. That's right. We um Sports Illustrated just wrote a actual entire feature about is the league too black? Right. We have this cocaine problem that's becoming a real problem, and CBS is starting to tape delay. They like I just wish somebody had laid it out in like thirty seconds. Yeah, like a series of those headlines, like yeah. scrolling headlines. They, they like, did it a little bit, but I don't feel like they did it strongly yeah. enough. Because so that's, the thing that to me was really missing was he was zagging. In not just the way of like, I see this potential with the franchise. He was zagging against like, it was really easy to get NBA franchises in 1979. Yeah, right. And it wasn't a league. People were like, oh, cool. I get to, I bought an NBA team. They, they were getting passed around. The Celtics had, Jesus, they must have had five or six owners in the 70s and 80s, you know, until they finally got, the ownership group got settled down. I don't know. What was the Washington? You had Abe Poland forever. A, so yeah, Abe Poland bought the Caps and uh, the Bullets and had the Capital Center out in uh, Landover, Maryland. So. So what do you want from this show? You've seen you've seen three. We'll do episode two for the next one. But what ultimately, where do you want to land? How do you want to land the plane? Because the fun thing about this show, at least to talk about, is we know what's going to happen. I know. That's right. It's we know great. they're going to try to hire Jerry Tarkanian. We know that uh, the two, Paul Westhead's going to be the assistant of Jack McKinney. And we know that Jason Siegel's going to play uh, Paul Westhead. We know Paul Westhead's going to take over because Jack McKinney gets hurt. Uh, like the, these are not spoiler alerts. These are us, all the facts of the situation. How are they going to get us to Pat Riley? That's part of the thing that I'm kind of intrigued and how by. Are they where's build Pat, Pat Riley? Riley? Yeah, where's Riley in this? We know Spencer Haywood, who was a pretty famous player in the '70s, pretty checkered history, bounced around a little bit, but we know he shows up on the Lakers and has such a big cocaine problem that they kick him off the team during the finals. I think the thing that I'm wondering about the most in view of what I've seen from the, these first two episodes is the the, the true uh, dramatic, um, you know, topper is the Celtics and, and the Lakers playing basketball against each other and the drama of of what those That's games... That's an bird and magic yes, and yes. all that stuff. So how do you get that? where the show right now is predominantly like uh, a a drama, a fun drama, a funny drama, but a drama. We didn't mention McKay directed this one. It's really well directed and really, really well acted. 
And they did a smart thing because they knew that they had, they were relying on a couple people who weren't necessarily like the greatest actors, right? Like Quincy Isaiah, who I thought actually was like fairly a revelation as magic. I thought he was captured a lot of his charisma. Cream, you're going to get what you're going to get with that one. He was fine. But all of the other people around, like Jason Clark, who I've always really liked, he plays West. John C. Riley, who we've liked forever, he's bust. He, he's, he's a tour de force. The lady who played uh, Jeannie Buss, they did a nice job of like, it really does seem like hasn't really blossomed into Jeannie Buss yet. Yep. And she's a little awkward and, you know. But she's taking it in. The Claire Rothman character. Claire Rothman. Was really good. Um, and there's some more people coming. There's Pete, there's a lot of situations where the people are actually like overqualified to be in the show. Like Jillian Jacobs is in the show eventually as Pat Riley's wife. It's like, wow, she's a real actress. She's like barely in the, barely in the show. And so I think they went overboard on the supporting characters. So that was smart. It's good. Yeah. I like it. All right. So your final grade. Um, it's a A minus for me. I think it's an A minus. You just have to be prepared going in that it's not the documentary. You, they're going to play loose and fast. You just have to let yourself be taken in by the spirit of winning. Enough time. cocaine for you? No, not, not, not nearly naked, enough. Enough naked ladies for you? Plenty of that. Yeah, we got a nice little Playboy Mansion scene. In one There's all, all kinds of stuff going on. All right. House and I are going to be back next week breaking down episode two, which unfortunately we've already seen. But uh, this was produced by Kyle Creighton. We will see you on the Prestige TV podcast uh, a little bit later. We have, we have a bunch of stuff coming this month, so keep coming back. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com.